This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Yemen Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Chuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. Rav Yitzhak Al-Khanan Specter was one of the most important postkim, if not the gadol of the postkim of his generation. Rav Yitzhak Al-Khanan was born in 1817. His father was a Tamit Chacham, a Rav, who supervised his education until the age of 13. At that point in time, his name spread as a young Ilui, and he was chosen as a Chatan of a well-known person who himself was a Tamit Racham, but it was also very well off. This fellow was was very anxious to take Rabbi Yitzhak Khanan as his son-in-law, and he promised him a number of years of support while he continued to learn. His Hatzmada at that time is well documented. Eventually he became a Rav in various communities. Among them, he was a Rav in the Vardak. While he was still young, relatively to the age of the Gedolim of the time, he was one of the people that was involved in the famous discussion of the Yeshiva of Alajan, when there was a great controversy in the Yeshiva as to who would be appointed Rosh Yeshiva. They brought a group of Rabbanim to Valajan to discuss and decide the issue. The other Rabbanim were much older than Ribbit Silchanan. But because of his fame, his reputation, he was invited as the youngest member of that Besdin. At that time, the custom was, the Rabbanim that came to Valajin would give a shear in the yeshiva. He gave a, he was the one chosen to give that shear. He gave a shear on the topic, Shibuda Daraisa, and apparently it astounded the entire yeshiva. What he became most famous for was when he, he became the Rav of Kovna. Kovna at that time became one of the most important centers of Jewry in Europe, perhaps rivaling Vilna, perhaps even surpassing Vilna. The Kovna Rav became Rav in 1864 when he was 47 years old and he remained in that position until he passed away in the year 1896. He was very instrumental in political issues of Russia at the time. He also was a great supporter of the Chovavetzion movement, the establishing a communities in in Israel was very much in the forefront of his activities.
In fact, in a recent volume, we'll discuss that volume shortly, of letters printed by Rav Yitzchak Hanan. There is a tshuva, it's Simon Kuv Samach Zayin, about the mitzvah of Yishev Eretz Yisrael. It was written to a Rav Avram Yaakov Slutsky, who was a one of the leaders of the Chov Zion, and the person had asked Rav Yitzchak Hanan to respond about the importance of the mitzvah of Yishev Eretz Yisrael. And of course, Rabbi Yitzel Hanan answered, my opinion is well known. I, he cites the Ramban that the mitzvah of Yishuv Yisrael is equivalent to all the mitzvahs of the Torah. And he says the Rambam also discusses the importance of Yishuv Yisrael. And he said, Baruch Hashem Elokei Yisrael Shechiyanu Vekiyanu Lazer because this organization, Chavvei Tzion, has begun to bring back a Yishuv to Eretz Yisrael, to rebuild the destruction of Eretz Yisrael. Obviously, Rabbi Yitzchak was one of the leaders of the Chavvei Tzion. As such, he wrote a very important shuva about Heter Mechira of Shemitah. This is one of the original sources of the heter of Mechiras Karka in Eretz Yisrael in order to allow the agricultural development of Eretz Yisrael not be hindered by the laws of Shemitah. Of course, this has become a major discussion about the year that he wrote it, years later, Rav Kook, etc., etc. Many People have written about the biography of Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan because right away, very soon after he passed away, a person who was a secretary, Rabbi Lifshitz, wrote about him. Other people also wrote about him. But the reason he was so well known is not only was he considered a major posek, but he obviously was a spokesman for the community who was respected in all areas. I'd like to quote a statement from Rebbe Chanan Wasserman, who was obviously one of the great Russia yeshiva of the 20th century. He wrote a book, or published, uh, they published a collection of articles called Sever Kovitz Ma'amarim. In Kovitz Ma'amarim, Rav Yitzchak, Rav Elchanan, talks about the problems of strengthening the Yiddishkeit of his generation. And he said there, the situation had become very, very grave, but, and here this is the part I'm going to translate in quote, at that time, there still was some spiritual authority of the Gedoli Hadar that people certain respected. The last of them was the Gaon, the author of the Be'er Nacha Yitzchak of Kavna. That means Rabbi Tzolchana. He was well respected and honored by the government officials, the people who were 
non-observant Jews also listened to him approximately at the time of his death so then the situation became much worse Rabbi Yitzhak Hanan had a biography written about him by Rabbi Dr. Ephraim Shimov of Yeshiva University connected with Yeshiva University he printed this biography both in Hebrew and in English very recently a new volume of Chuvos of Rabbi Yitzchel Hanan was printed. There is an organization in Eretz Yisrael, Machon Yerushalayim, which publishes Svarim under a category of Mif'al Torat Chachmei Lita. To restore the writing of certain Lithuanian Gedolim, they, together with Yeshiva University, published a volume last year, Tavshin Ayin, of Tshuva Sabenu Yitzhak Now, obviously, Yeshiva University, the Yeshiva is named for Rabbi Yitzhak Yeshiva Sabenu Yitzhak As such, honoring the name of the person for whom the Yeshiva is actually named, they participated in publishing a Sefer. The history of the Sefer is rather interesting. Rav Buxbaum, who was one of the founders of this Machon Yerushalayim, wrote that Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan was known to have many tshuvos, and we don't have them all. He heard that Rav Zevin had written that there were more tshuvos of Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan. Rav Zevin wrote in one of his books an article about Agunos in the Chuvos of Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan. What's amazing is Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan wrote many, many Chuvos about Agunos. Altogether, 158 Chuvos about Agunos. In three cases, he did not find a heter. Amazing percentage of Chuvos that he worked hard to find the heter for Agunos. In fact, in one of the stories they tell about Yitzel Hanan, almost on his deathbed, he got up to write one last tshuva because he found a place to be matir, a certain Aguna. But, going back to Rav Zevin, who wrote this article about Agunas in the tshuvas of Yitzel Hanan, Rav Zevin wrote, besides what the, all the tshuvas that we have, there are many tshuvas still in manuscript. Rav Buxbaum heard this from Rav Zevin, and he asked him, how does he know that? What's the source of this information? And Rav Zevin said, he knows people who knew Rav Yitzchak Hanan, and they heard from him, and they knew that there were additional tshuvas. In one of the volumes that Machon Yushayim printed in memory of Rav Hutner, they published 50, 44 tshuvas that they found in manuscript. They mentioned this to Reb Shlomo Zalman, and he asked about it, and then Reb Shlomo Zalman said, if they know any other tshuvas, they should find them and print them. 
Unfortunately, Rabbi Buxbaum himself did not live to see the fulfillment of this wish, but Rav Moshe Buxbaum wrote in the introduction to the volume that he fulfilled, in a way, his father's wish by publishing a sefer of Tshuva Shabbat Hanan printed in Tavshin Ayin. Of course, the main svarim that we know of Hanan include the Be'er Yitzchak, the Ein Yitzchak, the Nachal Yitzchak, many volumes of Chuvas of Rabbi Yitzchanan. His famous aposek was so well known that the story that's told about Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim Salavechik, Reb Chaim Brisker, can be related again very briefly here. When Reb Rav Chaim had a question, a halachic issue that he had trouble deciding, he sent a letter to Rabbi Yitzchanan asking him the question. But he insisted that Rabbi Yitzchanan answer him by telegram, and he enclosed the money to pay for the telegram. When the students said to Reb Chaim, you, you didn't need such an immediate answer. Why did you send a telegram? Why did it have to be by telegram? Reb Chaim answered, the problem was he saw both sides of the, of the issue very clearly, and he couldn't make up his mind. Once Rabbi Yitzchanan would write a letter, he would also add his arguments this way and that way. Reb Chaim said, that's not what I was interested in hearing. I wanted to hear the decision of Rabbi Yitzchanan. Rabbi Yitzchanan was a postdoc that you can rely on. Whatever he said goes. And that way I don't have to discuss the issue. I don't have to argue with Rabbi Yitzchanan. The word of Rabbi Yitzchanan is the halacha. This was the reputation of Rabbi Yitzchanan in the world of halacha, in the world of authority. I already quoted Rabbi Yitzchanan Vasiman. Today I'd like to discuss some of the tshuvos that appeared in this new volume of Chuvas Rabbeinu Yitzchak It seems to me, from looking over the Sefer, by the way, there's an important introduction to the Sefer where Rav Eliezer Stern wrote the biography of Rabbi Yitzchak I, of course, used information from that biography in what I've said so far about Rabbi Yitzchak The Chuvas that I saw in this Sefer uh, the new volume, seemed to me very, very short tshuvas. And it, it appears to me that they were all written in the later stages of Rabbi Sulchanan when his halachic authority was well known. He himself was apparently weak and had trouble writing lengthy treatises like he did in some of the other volumes. But you see that people asked him for psak halacha, sometimes even for advice, and he responded rather briefly. For example, this new book is has two hundred and twenty pages with only a hundred with a hundred and sixty seven Shailotu Chuvot. That means the average chuva is only one page. In some of the other volumes we'll find chuvas that are much, much longer. In Simon Pei Bays, he was asked about publishing a book without the author's permission. The author had already passed away. 
The question was written to a Rav Moshe Aryeh Bamberger, who wrote that his father had written a Sefer, and his father was known as a great Rav, a Gaon, a Tzaddik. But his father did not want the Sefer printed because he didn't want people to rely on him, Lahalacha. Rav Yisrael Hanan prefaces his remarks by saying, how can I know exactly what the intention was of this Gaon and Sadiq? Nevertheless, I think it is appropriate to publish this work. But they should write an introduction that the author requested not to rely on him, Halach Lamasa, unless the student who reads the work will study it carefully, think the whole topic through. And Rabbi Solchanan quoted precedents. For example, the Shach, in the introduction to Yeridea, administered an oath to all people who read his book, the Shach, that they should not rely on his Psak. The Primigadim, in his introduction to Hilchas Pesach, also administered a similar oath <coughs> that anyone who studies his book should not rely on it because his purpose was only to cause people to dwell on the issue more. And therefore, the advice of Rabbi Hanan is when they publish this Sefer of their father and he calls him they should write an introduction that his his holy opinion was not to rely on him unless you study it carefully you know how to go through it the Gaon HaMechaber only wrote this to for people to study this way you'll fulfill your father's wishes but print the Sefer as well and he says, because he was a great Gaon, very well known his generation. This question, of course, was relevant at that particular time, but we could infer from here about printing Svarim <coughs> people who expressed wishes not to print the Svarim. <coughs> Under what rights under what conditions should people print Svarim? This question comes up, obviously, in many, many cases as well. By the way, Rabbi Zalchanan mentioned that they had asked him to go through the tshuvas of this particular Sefer, and he said, I find it very difficult to do at the present time, but, and I, I really didn't have a chance to go through the Sefer. Again, this tshuva w- was written in Tuf Reish Mem. So, I guess at that time, Rabbi Tzolchanan was also weak and had trouble fulfilling all his real responsibilities and didn't have time to read the tshuvos of this particular sefer, although he praised the author very much. Another tshuva that he wrote, which today might be uh, also very relevant, but this tshuva has two lines. Tshuva and Simon Ayin 
they someone wrote to Rebbe Tzolchana and said there was a Rav who said that when you have a bris, you're not allowed to put coliform. Now that's a, a type of a, a drug to cause the person to be unaware, not to feel the pain of the bris. Now, the person wrote to Yibbizelchan and said, it's true that someone passed that it's usher to do this, but I don't know the reason. So I asked Dr. Price, who was a student of that Rav, if the bris would be conducted in an ex- the exact same way, whether the person was aware or unaware. Perhaps the blood did not flow the same. Rabbi, the, the Rav who wrote the question reported that Dr. Price had answered that there's no difference whether there is a, what we call hardama or not. So therefore, the Yesh Rabbi This question was written in Tav Reish Nun Hey. And here, the answer is two lines. You wrote that it's mutter. I agree with you. I do not see any sign, any siman at all, that it should be aser. Now, of course, when we talk about having a bris for infants, one can discuss. I've heard. I've heard. I don't know physiologically what's true. People told me the child doesn't below the age of a certain age doesn't have nerve endings and doesn't feel the pain as much as uh, uh, adults would. But the question, of course, came up with adult Mila, especially in cases of either Gerim, or more prevalent in Israel in the past uh, few decades, where people came from Russia who had Jewish mothers and did not have a bris in Russia. They were adults here. The pain of having a bris at that age is uh, apparently very, very severe. And the other question was about having hardama. And Rabbi Yitzchanan said he sees no reason at all to think that it should be Yasser. One of the questions that show also a certain history of the time was found in a tshuva that he wrote to a person who lived in a community called Brunsbach. I think that might be in Germany. I don't know where it is. But the person said, wrote the question, that a certain person had come from America. Now this person was living already in America, in Tough Reish Memtet. And this person came to visit his family in this community of Bronsbach, but he passed away there. In the Tzava, in his will, he asked to be brought back to America, to be buried in America, where his family was. His family insisted that this be done, and they sent a, a, a metal casket, an Aron, and they, when they put him in the casket, they said, with a plan to remove the body, to move it to America. The local 
Rav apparently said that you're not allowed to move the body. He died in Brunsbach, he should be buried there, and you could not be mefaneh, the, the body. Then they wrote another letter from America that said the daughter of the Niftar was sick in an endangered situation. Maybe that's true, maybe not true, but it would be, it's extremely important for her to bring the body to America. And therefore, the Rav said, since there's a chashash sakana in this case, maybe it would be mutter. The person who asked the question, Rav Simcha Halevi, mentioned certain reasons why he thought perhaps this would be forbidden. Rabbi Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan answered and said, I cannot uh, be involved too much myself because of poor health. I'm asking someone else to write this letter for me. But the bottom line is, there is no reason not to take the body back to America. When he insisted in his sava that he be brought to America, you follow his instructions. Even if they put, even if they had a grave already in Europe, but they buried him with the intention of removing, of removing him, of bringing him back to America. In this case, they did inter him with the intention of moving him. I also think, says Rebbe Hanan, that even if they didn't make such a condition, it would be it would be proper to reinter him in America because that's his sava. And again, a brief answer to the point that it's mutter. One of the questions that also had been referred to him by other rabbanim regarded a situation where a woman who was known as a tzaddikas, she had become pregnant and fasted on a fast day, and then she had a miscarriage. She became pregnant a, a second time and fasted on Tisha B'av. Immediately after Tisha B'av, she did not feel well, and she had another miscarriage. Now she's pregnant a third time. And she asked the question, is she allowed to fast on Yom Kippur? Or is she Pturah? Now it's interesting, the question was, is she allowed to fast? Or Pturah? I would have asked the question one of two things. One of two ways, is she allowed to fast or not allowed to fast? Is she Chayev or Pater? But here are the two extremes. Is she allowed to fast or is she exempt? They asked the doctor and the doctor said let's go ask a Rav and the Rav said she's not allowed to eat anything even less than a Shiur. The doctor did not like the decision of the Rav, and he asked this, this particular Rav, and he said that it was mutter. And he quotes a certain Chavosiyayir that, that said, you can, be, you can eat, or better, in our case, it's referring to eating Yom Kippur, but he said, the Chavosiyayir, you can be Mechal Shabbos to save an embryo. 
here the question seems to be about saving the embryo. Are we allowed to be Mechal Shabbos to save an embryo? Are we allowed to, or can we allow the woman to eat on Yom Kippur to save the child? The When I discussed this with a Rav, he said, although he had originally said it was Usr, perhaps he would change his mind. They decided to ask Rabbi Yitzhak And his answer was, of course she's allowed to eat. But he cited two reasons. Not just because of the Sakanata Ubar, which itself would be permitted, but because of the miscarriage might endanger the mother as well. So, you need not say that the sakanat of the mother is the only reason he was mad here. It's very important here, I think, to be precise. Pasak lehetera machmat sakanat havlad vehein machmat chashash sakanashala. It seems that either or would be considered sufficient to allow the woman to eat on Yom Kippur. The editor of this new volume wrote in a footnote that if you look in the Chavos Yoyer, Rabbi Yitzhak Hanan said it was not found in his edition of the Chavos Yoyer. But the Madir writes that in, the, in his edition of the Chavot Yoyer, it says, it could be that the reason is mainly for the mother. But it seems that Rabbi Yitzhak Hanan said either for the mother or for the purpose of the child. The last question that I'd like to mention very briefly from this new volume of Chuvas was a question of more uh, lambdas than actual psakalacha. But there is a very important uh, ramification of this question. The question was about a difficult piece in the rush in Yuma. The rush there had discussed a child below the age of Bar Mitzvah fasting in Yom Kippur. Now we know the Mishnah in Yuma says that there is a a uh, a certain amount of time that you're allowed to or you should train a person to fast. But it seems that at from the age of 12 the child should fast on Yom Kippur. And the question of course that the rush, the rush there discussed in Yuma against the Rif and I'm reading the words of the rush. The Rush asked the question, how could it be that a child below the age of a mitzvah might be required to fast on Yom Kippur more than any other mitzvah of the Torah? The person who wrote to Rebbe Hanan said, maybe the reason is because once a child is above a certain age, he's called a mufla samach le'ish. A mufla samach le'ish above the age of 12 has a din of a neder midaraisa. Very unusual din 
that a child below the age of a mitzvah actually has a halacha relating to a mitzvah daraisa, namely his neders and neder. So the person wrote the and suggested that since his neder is a neder, therefore he actually needs kapar on Yom Kippur, midaraisa. So therefore you should fast. Rabbi Salchanan rejected the argument and said the kapara of Yom Kippur is not contingent merely upon fasting. If a person does not have to fast, for example, a person who is a chole sheyesh bo he doesn't have to fast. Are you going to tell me that Yom Kippur is not mechaper for him? Yom Kippur is not mechaper if a person who is supposed to fast eats on Yom Kippur. The Gemara in Shavuot's Taf Yud Beis has a whole discussion about when Yom Kippur is mechaper, when Yom Kippur is not mechaper. If a person does not call it a Mikra Kodesh, he, the extreme example would be that a person eats on Yom Kippur, so then Yom Kippur would not be mechaper. But here the person's allowed to eat on Yom Kippur. So Rav Yitzel Hanan rejected this idea completely and said that Yom, the Kapara of Yom Kippur has nothing to do with fasting. He also pointed out that if you would think that a person has to fast on Yom Kippur, then he wouldn't be allowed to do Malacha either on Yom Kippur. Such an idea we've never heard before. The, the, again, I refer you to the Rush and the Rif to discuss exactly what is the din of a child below the age of Bar Mitzvah Yom Kippur and uh, how would we would interpret the question of the Rush against the Rif. But this, again, is beyond the time of our Shi'ur.